Christina Myers and Kevin Reardon's daughter, Olivia, was born 10 and a half weeks prematurely, which proved to be an ominous prelude to her early life. On today's podcast, they will talk about how Olivia had to survive two heart surgeries after birth, with the first one being when she was just one month old. After being healthy for three years, Olivia was then diagnosed with stage four alveolar rhabdomyosarcoma in November of 2021. Since that time, Olivia had emergency surgery to remove her tumor, which was then followed by a craniotomy, 28 proton treatments at St. Jude's, and his 51 chemotherapy treatments into a 66 chemotherapy regimen that she is in the process of completing. Christina and Kevin will also talk about their Olivia Strong Foundation that they started in March of 2022, which is donating a substantial amount of money already and is creating events which they hope one day will allow them to establish a sizable regional foundation, which is based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It is now my pleasure to introduce Christina Myers and Kevin Reardon to my audience and welcome them to my podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's great to have you here. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Now I'm going to ask, obviously, uh, a number of questions about Olivia and her journey, um, and you can choose to uh, which one of you would like to answer it. Uh, so that that's absolutely fine. I've done a lot of uh, two-person uh, podcasts before. Now, my first question, of course, is about Olivia. Now, she's been through so many health-related situations, which started even before you could prepare for what was to happen, as she was born 10 and a half weeks prematurely. How did that affect, affect her almost immediate problem when she had the first of two heart surgeries uh, when she was only a month old? Yeah, so I, I think it... it prepared Olivia um, more than anything to, to deal with cancer. She was in and out of the hospital every three months like clockwork with bronchitis and pneumonia. She would spend a week at a time in the ICU and it really matured her um, more than anything to, I think, be able to comprehend what was happening and speaking with the doctors and understanding. So the three years that we went before cancer, where Olivia was a, a healthy, normal child, and then to be hit with cancer, she she was ready. She knew the fight ahead. We were very transparent with her, um, and and I just I think it prepared her. I think in in the craziest of ways, that's the best way I can explain it. You know, she um, it, it prepared her to face this head on. Yeah. It, it... Uh, more than most people who had to face what she faced. Uh, she was ready really almost <laughs> right from the beginning. Uh, right. Even though she didn't know she was ready, she was ready, which obviously right. uh, has helped her. Now, she also suffered from a uh, situation in which she had the collapse of an airway while trying to breathe. Was this what led her to being diagnosed with pneumonia so many times in her early years? Yeah, definitely. So she had what was called a double aortic arch, 
And typically when you're in the womb, each of us have two arches that go around our trachea. And because she was so premature, one of the arches did not fall off. And so when she was in the hospital, they kept hearing a little bit of a rasp in her, her excitement. And so that over time, they decided to go in and clip one of them out. Um, but when they clipped it over time, it reformed and um, went back around her trachea. And so um, when she would get sick and get pneumonia, she'd cough and try and get fluids and junk out of her system, out of her lungs. But it would uh, hit the top of the airway where it was collapsed and shoot back down into her system. Um, and so over time, you just, um, they couldn't figure out why she kept getting sick and what was going on. Uh, doctors here in Charlotte referred us to, to Boston um, and Boston told us, yeah, over time, the uh, double aortic arch could form back. And certainly that's what happened to Olivia. Um, so they were able to go out and successfully remove the pieces of arch that reformed. Um, and minutes after her surgery, when she woke up, she coughed, some crud came out and she looked at us like she was terrified. And uh, the doctors were like, that's awesome. That's that's what's supposed to happen. Um, and really after that surgery, she didn't get sick for several years. Well, I, I was just thinking that after you did, did come up here, because I'm in Boston and you had uh, surgery at such a great hospital, my guess is that you were assuming and hoping and expecting that you were thinking that her health issues were behind her. Was Am I correct in saying that? It was a fantastic three years. <laughs> we did. We, we firmly believed, you know, like as much as she went through with the, the heart condition and the trachea malaysia, um, we never imagined that she would be faced with another life-threatening illness. And the three years post the operation at, at Boston Children's, she was really doing well. She Absolutely. was doing great. Yeah. She she had pneumonia, but it didn't land her in the hospital. She was able to keep her oxygen levels up. Like Kevin said, she could expel that mucus and, you know, cough like a normal child and, and recover just fine. So, um, again, we just never anticipated anything. You know, we thought the next time she'd be in the hospital would be to have a baby. That that certainly uh, would have been the ideal situation, of course. Now, now, a little over a year ago, uh, on November 21st, uh, Olivia was diagnosed with stage four uh, alveolar rhabdomyosarcoma, which was located in the uh, perennial sinus. What were the symptoms leading up to that diagnosis and were they fairly similar in nature at all to the pneumonia systems that she had? And how shocking was it for you uh, to learn that uh, you were in a, a different battle and a, a very, very uh, uh, difficult one? Sure. We were, we were sitting around the dinner table one night and uh, Olivia said she couldn't taste or smell her food. And so immediately we thought, oh, great, COVID. Um, Christy took her the next morning to get a COVID test. And sure enough, she did not have COVID. Um, went through a couple of days, did an eye exam at school and her, uh, her eye was dripping a little bit. And she said, kids in her class were asking her why she keep crying. Uh, we asked her the same thing at the dinner table. Are you okay? And she said, yeah, my eyes just dripping. So Christy took her to an eye doctor, um, the next day, next day and said, maybe there's infection. Let's give her some drops. Um, over the course of that next week, her eye started remaining or getting swollen, and her eyes started kind of pushing out towards the front of her face. Um, so a week later, went back to the eye doctor and said, obviously, there's no infection there. Nothing's really working with the medicine. So he says it with an ophthalmologist on a Tuesday. Because um, at this point, her eye was, you know, 
really was- distorted, kind of poking out of her eye, her eye socket just a little bit and fairly swollen and her eye was dripping even more. Um, so Tuesday, um, Christy took her in. The doctor said, get to the ER now. I've got them waiting for you. Um, there's something behind her eye. We need to figure out what it is. Um, I was in Pinehurst in the, in the golf tournament and Christy had called me and told me to get home. So I, I rushed home right away, um, straight to the hospital where they were getting ready to do a procedure at nine o'clock at night. They'd actually bumped it up to five 30, uh, that evening because they wanted to uh, get it over as soon as possible. We were in the waiting room and, and they walked in and said, we don't even need to send this off. We know what it is. Blue cell tumor. Um, your daughter's got cancer. Now you had been through so much already with Olivia, but as you wrote about when talking about your foundation, one of the things that you said that you understand firsthand what it's like to hear the words, your child has cancer, which is one of the things that you work on with other parents. But how are you able to process these words, especially after feeling so good for a few years that the worst of her problems were over? I mean, how did you handle that? Well, that was the toughest thing because when you hear your child has cancer, immediately you think, oh gosh, how much more time do we have with her? You know, we had already spent uh, a fantastic nine years with her despite all of her health issues early on. But as uh, as you hear those words from your doctors, you're like, oh my gosh, what what is going on? Um, it, it was, it was yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. I mean, you you really feel like your life is being sucked out of you, not knowing what's in store for the future of, of your child, you know, who, who already had a terrible hand dealt to her. Right. And here she is, you know, round two, you know, here we go. And um, I think as a parent, you know, you would immediately, I think most parents feel this way. You immediately would trade places with them. You were begging God to please give you their cancer, give it to you and let you be the one to endure all the pain and all the heartache and everything that goes along with that. So they won't have to. And it was hard. It was, I mean, the first year it, it got, it's been easier the past few months since we've been in maintenance, but all the firsts, you know, are there. I mean, it's just, um, it's dread. You know, you, how do you tell your child that they have cancer? How do how do we function as a family now? How do we um, pull our strength and be strong for her? You know, that was a big conversation. I was crying all the time. I, it was, I was just an emotional mess. You know, it's my baby. And, you know, we're telling her, you got to stay strong. You got to stay positive. You got to fight this. And that's really what it's going to take. And then I could turn my back and I would just lose it. And Kevin, you know, Kevin called me on it. He's like, look, we, we got to pull together, you know, and we got to stay strong for her. And um, it takes those hard conversations um, to to keep all of us fighting for her. Now, you're from a, a, a fairly small town in North Carolina. Before you heard the words, she has cancer. Did you know of anyone that uh, that had a situation with pediatric cancer? Were you at all familiar with something like that, even though obviously you had had been through a, a very difficult experience as far as her heart was concerned. Yeah, it's crazy. Our um, our next door neighbors, probably six or seven years ago, lost a child to childhood cancer, and so it definitely hit home. And um, you know, uh, Joey was such a lively boy and had so much life. It was always great seeing him play on the street, but 
you know, when you hear your kid has cancer, all you can think about is all the negative connotations that come with cancer. And so it was pretty tough. I would imagine it was tough. And I'm guessing it might have been tough for the next door neighbors. Were they still living there at the time? No, um, they had relocated many years ago. Okay. Shortly after his passing, they relocated. Now, Olivia had her first surgery, which is emergency surgery, to remove her tumor. And that was quickly followed by a craniotomy. Was her overall experience uh, at Hemby Children's Hospital um, a good one for her? And what was the reason that eventually moved her to Memphis and St. Jude's? Yeah, our our experience with uh, Novant and Hemby Children's Hospital has always been top notch. You know, um, all of her um, childhood stuff and before cancer was at Hemby. So we were, we were familiar with a lot of the nurses and staff and doctors and in the hospital in general. Um, and the reason we had to go to Memphis was for her radiation, for the proton beam radiation that was done in Memphis. But um, always had a very positive experience at Novant and, and can't be more uh, grateful for our relationship with them. And also too, Mark, you know, a lot of people in the Charlotte area do not know that Novant has the St. Jude affiliate hospital here, you know, available to our oncology kids, you know, um, we didn't know it at the time we learned of it when, you know, like Kevin said, no Vaughn's always treated Olivia. That's just been our hospital of choice. It's a smaller hospital, you know, not as big as, as atrium, you know, Levine children's hospital down here, but we like that, that smaller close knit, um, relationships that we can build with, with the team here. And it's been an extensive team with the specialists, you know, from not just oncology, but, you know, our pulmonologists, you know, with the heart stuff, they, they were, you know, paramount in discovering the, you know, the um, recurrent heart condition, you know, and then um, a new team of ICU doctors came in and were very um, deliberate in, in how they cared for her and, um, trying to get to the bottom of the heart condition too. I mean, and so we just had that relationship already. And, you know, when he said, when the ophthalmologist said, Hey, get to the ER, there was no doubt of which one I was going to, I'm going back to Henby, you know? And so with the St. Jude affiliate hospital, um, and the proton beam radiation therapy, we had, we had two choices, um, for pediatric and it was to go to, um, either Sloan Kettering, or to St. Jude. And we just thought like, hey, we're already part of the St. Jude family here at Novant Health. We're going to continue that St. Jude relationship and have that team of doctors. Um, that way they can kind of stay in network and work together because um, she's part of a, of a trial also. So it's, it's a lot of coordination to make sure that we can stay on trial and um, her receive the care that she needs. Well, I'm certainly going to mention uh, later in the podcast about uh, your grateful feeling towards uh, Novant uh, uh, with what you've done uh, for them uh, with your foundation. But Olivia had 28 of these proton treatments at St. Jude's. Did those work out the way they were supposed to? And I, I've talked to so many people who've had wonderful experiences at St. Jude's from the uh, where you stay and everything else. I'm guessing that was... Uh, pretty much similar to your experience there? It was, it was, it was top notch. We stayed at the Ronald McDonald house for the majority of our stay there. Um, the radiation did work exactly as we expected it to. She had a small, like one centimeter tumor in her, um, one of her lymph nodes in her neck. 
and then residual tumor behind our eye that they could not get to with surgery. So the proton radiation therapy um, did target and um, dissipate those remaining areas, of course, and as, as well as treat the surrounding area without damaging her whole you know, facial tissue um, by doing, you know, photon radiation. So the doctors there were phenomenal. Um, Kevin has a favorite story he likes to tell, you know, with some of the doctors there. And yeah, so we we had met with her uh, radiologist, Dr. Crazen, and he was kind of going through the whole spiel of how the proton beam radiation works. And um, he has sent Olivia off with one of the texts to get fit for her mask. And then he asked Christy and I, how long into the treatment is she? And I think at that point she was 11 weeks in Mm -hmm. to her chemo. And he goes, I really can't start radiation until week 13. And Olivia was down in the dump. She didn't want to be there. And so I asked doctor, I said, Hey, is there any chance we can go back to Charlotte for the next, you know, seven to 10 days until she gets to week 13. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't have a problem with that. Let me check with the other doctors and make sure they're okay with it. So Christy and I left to go up to patient services to, to do a couple of things. And um, one of Olivia's doctors walked up to us while we were in line and says, Oh, I hear you're heading home. And this was maybe five minutes after we left Dr. Craze. And we said, no doc, doc, <laughs> we weren't planning on going home unless you said it was okay. And he immediately said, no, y'all go home, get her out of here. We'll see y'all in, in seven to 10 days. And um, later on that day, we, we, we held out. We didn't tell Olivia, but she was getting ready to do her chemo treatment. And she was just miserable sitting in a chair in the corner of the room, just head down. And I, the the nurse was looking at the calendar and said, we really need you back here. And Olivia kind of heard this and her head perked up a little bit. I looked at her. I said, do you want to go home? And she started crying. And uh, so she finished her chemo treatment, did a couple uh, uh, meetings the next day, appointments the next day. And then they flew, they, they got her home. Yeah. Um, so she was able to come home for seven days and then immediately boosted her spirits to come home and, and be with the dogs and the rest <laughs> of the family. But it was, you know, everything out at, at St. Jude is, it is wonderful. You know, they, they are patient kid focused. Um, and they really, you know, one of the memorable moments for me is, you know, with this proton radiation and kids, Olivia's age, they normally sedate them, right. Because they have to be, especially when the, they're being treated in the facial area. And, um, Olivia heard that and she's like, I don't, I don't want to be sedated. You know, she doesn't like the way it feels when she's coming out of it. And, and the Dr. Crazen, the radiology oncologist said, well, we can try it, but you know, you have to be really, really still. And she goes, I can do it. And there was no doubt in her mind that she could do it. And and he kind of looked at us and we said, well, okay, we can try it. And, um, and she did all 28 sessions without radiation, without or without being sedated. And um, and it it really just gave me such admiration for these doctors because they listened to the patient. They they weren't dependent on mom and dad to be like, no, just sedate her. She like he listened to her and um valued her and her opinion. Well, you know, I think that kind of uh enhances your point that you made when she was born, that she was going to be ready for these things. So yeah. she was ready at her age uh, right. to, uh, to, to not be sedated and to take those proton right. uh, um, radiation um, treatments. Now she's had, uh, if my facts are correct, 51 out of her 66 chemotherapy treatments back in Charlotte. 
at the St. Jude's affiliate. I mean, in uh, yeah, in, in Charlotte. And the plan is for her to complete those treatments. How long has this chemo process taken and how much longer will her um, treatment protocol take? We do chemo every Monday. Um, and her final date is March 27th. So we're, we're quickly approaching uh, the end of this. I think we have 14 more 14 weeks. 14 to go. Today was 52. So today marks that full year since chemo started. Um, so 14 more to go. So she had a total of 66 um, weeks of chemotherapy. And how has she been tolerating the treatments? Uh, great recently. You know, early on, um, she was in a cycle that ran three weeks. So the first the first week in the cycle was three different medicines on that Monday. And early on, it would wipe her out from Monday until about Friday or Saturday. So nearly all week. And then the second uh, Monday in that cycle wasn't too bad. It would kind of knock her out Monday, Tuesday, and maybe a little bit Wednesday. And then the third one on that last, the last Monday on a cycle wasn't too bad. It would, it would kind of make her feel crummy just that Monday. But then by Tuesday, she was fine. And then over time, they kind of changed up, I guess, the cocktail, if you will, of um, medicine to maybe not be so strong or not be as much. And the last, I don't know, 30 or so treatments have been a lot easier than it was early on. She still feels crummy at times and takes a lot of medicine to, to kind of ease her stomach. But uh, early on, it was miserable. Yeah, she's currently, so we've gone, we've moved into the maintenance phase. So um, instead of going on the, on the, we still go each Monday to get just a small infusion, let them check her blood counts and make sure everything looks good. But she takes a daily chemo pill now. So it's less, um, it's less intense on her um, than, than the full infusion days and, and treatments that she was having prior to maintenance. Yeah, early on, we did all the, uh, the first Mondays in the cycle in the hospital overnight. And you want to talk about one unhappy child knowing that she had to stay in the hospital overnight and sometimes two nights because it, it wore her out so bad. Um, so the very beginning of chemo was not much fun. Had she been able to go to school at all during this uh, last year or so during the uh, chemo treatments? In the beginning, she wasn't. So end of end of her fourth grade, she's in fifth grade. So when all this started, um, end of her fourth grade year, she did not go back maybe once or twice to visit. Um, when she started back for fifth grade, we work closely with our school and she has a, a 504 plan in place, you know, where they make accommodations. She's not counted a- absent, you know, due to her health condition. And we let her go if her if her counts are high. We work closely with her teacher to make sure, you know, there's not high absences in the classroom that day, especially right now with flu and um, high flu and RSV going around. So we take a lot of precautions. We try to let her go as she can just because she needs that social interaction um, desperately. You know, she's stuck here with me all day, almost every day. So she's bored, you know, and um, so she she needs to be around friends. But we do we, we let her go when we know it's safe and um, we keep her home when we know that she's not healthy enough to go. The date of March 27th, of course, is going to be very significant. Have her doctors said anything about what the next steps might be, or will it be, you know, going back for scans on a fairly uh, uh, regular or um, uh, systematic basis? 
Yes, we'll definitely. Um, after she's done with chemo, we will, because of how aggressive this rhabdo is, and especially the the allure type, it, um, you know, it was already stage four in a matter of weeks, right? It's not a slow growing tumor. It's a fast growing. Um, I think we'll have very frequent scheduled scans. I'm, I'm thinking in the beginning, um, it'll be every three months. And then, you know, hopefully after after year one, we can start to scale back a little bit, but it'll, it'll be a full um, period of time that we'll do, we'll do periodic scans. I'd like to ask you about your, I know you've got two other children, uh, one of uh, whom is seven years old, hopefully maybe a little young to really understand the process, but you have a 14-year-old daughter named Natalie, who four years older now than Olivia. She's had to watch her baby sister go through so many things and particularly the cancer uh, situation. How is she, how is she doing and what type of effect has it had on her? uh, Particularly when you, obviously you have to be so invested in uh, Olivia's health. Yeah, really both daughters are taking it very well. Natalie um, and Bradley both maybe had a small period kind of in the middle of it where they, you could kind of tell they might have felt like um, Olivia was getting all the attention, but that's changed 180 degrees. And and Natalie's such a good big sister; she's always phenomenal with Olivia and and making sure she knows she loves her and asking her if she's okay and taking care of her. Um, just like, laying in bed with her, you know, and I think they just better understand, you know. Yeah, over over the course of the year, understand how serious this thing really was. Well, that's good to hear that they've both done the best they could, obviously, in such a difficult situation. Now, before we switch our attention to the Olivia Strong Foundation, I was reading about one of the things that you emphasize is that it's an opportunity to give back to others who may be affected by pediatric cancer. And I want to quote this. Your family has been beyond blessed during Olivia's journey. Can you expand on that thought? And in what ways have you been beyond blessed? Yeah, we've had tremendous support from not only our families and friends, but from places we've worked. Um, I was a golf professional at a uh, really well-known club here in Charlotte for 10 and a half years. And all through Olivia's heart surgeries, I was always taken care of by the members and um, always very well supportive. Um, and anything that we needed medically, financially, um, whether we needed it or not. And we, we had set up an account several years ago specifically for Olivia. Um, and then having the cancer diagnosis, the current club that I work for now also stepped up and just started just donating money to us. And we both work. We don't need the money. We don't use it for us. So um, we just keep it in this account. And over time, we decided, you know what? Uh, it's it's time to put that money to work. And and Christy came up with the idea of the foundation. And so all the money that was being donated to us, we just started putting into the foundation, created the foundation. And as of last week, in under a year, we've raised over $357,000. Um, you're off to a tremendous start. When when did the foundation start and what it's what is its central mission? So we formed um, in March of this year, and our mission really is to 
give back to St. Jude, partner with Novant. Um, we've given back to Make-A-Wish. Any, any foundation that works with families of children with pediatric cancer um, is who we're giving back to. We're, we're not in the business of giving to families directly because I'm, I'm, I still work full-time. Kevin works full-time. We have a kid with cancer and two other daughters, right? I don't have the time to vet families and make sure that they need what they say they need. You know, I, I would rather partner with other organizations who already have that in place and give them grants or funds to help continue their missions. Um, so we've given back. We, we partnered with Novant Health here locally. Um, over a five-year period, we've committed to giving $500,000. We've already given $100,000 for this year. Um, we've given back $50,000 to St. Jude and then $15,000 to grant two additional wishes um, to Make-A-Wish. Uh, I've been reading about what you've been doing. Now you say $357,000. We haven't even reached a year yet. Right. So, so you, you, you're doing obviously tremendous work. And I wanted to mention that $500,000 donation, which I basically alluded to before, the, uh, because obviously you had a wonderful relationship with Novant and that must be, you know, it's a small, um, you know, you, you know, it, it, it's a fairly small system compared to say a St. Jude, they must, uh, have been absolutely uh, ecstatic with that commitment that you're making to them. Yeah, they've been, they've been great to us. And, and, uh, and obviously, you know, we we owe them a lot for the life they've given us. They've they've saved our baby. You know, we had twice. <laughs> twice. We um, you know, we have a we have a 10 year relationship with them, you know, and and that's that's a long time in the the world of of a medical journey, you will. And um we we really felt strongly about making that commitment. And we toyed around, you know, with doing lower dollar amounts, but for what they've done for us, $500,000 was nothing. You know, it's, I think we feel very confident that we can make that commitment and then some. We've kind of got a running joke and it's, um, it's not a fun joke, but every once in a while, uh, Facebook sends you these memories and our running joke was, all right, we're going to check into our family vacation spot, which was Tempe Children's Hospital because so many times a year we vacation to the yeah. Children's Hospital for, for various issues. Well, um, you know, the, the 10 year relationship, you, you take the, I don't want to say average or standard, but a pediatric cancer patient that generally is thought of, even though it's not necessarily true, after five years, they're so-called cured, which means they're not under the auspices of the hospital anymore. Um and then after that happens, generally the the hopefully the uh, hospital doesn't see them. So you've already had a ten year relationship, and the average in cancer is five. Right. So that that's quite a uh, you know relationship. Uh, which, a lot of history together. A lot of history. Uh, none of it you would have preferred to have happen, of course. Yeah. Uh, and you've also given, as you said, fifty thousand dollars for solid tumor research. We're not done giving back to them either. We've, uh, you know, no Vaughn and him be at, at this point are our two primary um, foundations and or hospitals to, to serve. So they've, they've given us, you know, more than we could ever ask for or pay back. What made you decide to donate $15,000 to the Make-A-Wish Foundation in North Carolina, which will let two kids realize a dream trip for themselves and their families? So Olivia is a wish kid. She had a wish granted 
um, she was going through her, uh, her heart stuff and she went to Disney. Uh, Christy and my mom were also wish granters for make a wish here in town. And Olivia, Christy, and my mom are also part of the wish society. Um, so we've, we've had some family relationship and family ties with make a wish and, and definitely wanted to give back at least Olivia's wish that was granted to us, but also one, one additional one. So, um, we want to make sure we give back to the foundation that's given to our family. It's such a great foundation and so many kids have benefited from their generosity. Um, that's it's interesting. I've done a lot of podcasts. That's the one place I've been trying to get someone to come on my show, and I have been unsuccessful so far. So, uh, but maybe it's I can maybe maybe we can try something. I don't know. We know some people there too. So, well, well that would be great. But I love the foundation. Um, now, back on November twenty third, my question would uh, will be: What was it like for you and Olivia to be grand marshals of the Thanksgiving <laughs> Day parade that was put on by? Uh, Novon Health. It was cool. I think it was a really cool experience. I think the girls love getting to be in a horse-drawn carriage. Um, I, I think they just love the five of us being together and celebrating all that we've accomplished as a family. Um, she was the grand marshal, but it was about so much more for us than than that. You know, we we got to celebrate her, but we got to celebrate the year that we had been through. Absolutely. Hopefully the weather was decent. So you had uh, a good sized crowd. It was was gorgeous. Like for November, you know, you could go any way here. Um, It was, it was not overly cold. It was not raining. It was, it was a perfect night. Very well deserved for, for you and Olivia, of course. Now you've also sponsored a blood drive, a Christmas in July toy drive. As I'm saying this, I have to remind you that you haven't even had the foundation for a year yet. (laughs) In uh, the uh, Halloween witches walk, are these events ones that you hope will continue on a yearly basis? I would love for the the plan is for the witches walk to be an annual event. That is kind of my little baby. That it they they do it in my hometown, um, and it has grown. They do a witches ride and they decorate bikes and all this. Our downtown area is not quite um, set up for that just yet, but. I do have goals um, to do an annual witches event where the ladies dress up as their favorite witch and good witches, bad witches, ugly witches, whatever, whatever you want to be. And it it really just is to have the ladies come out and support a, a great cause. And um, our local bars and restaurants in downtown Matthews all supported it. And um, we had, I think, about 140 ladies sign up for this year. And I think everyone was, I think we got a lot of really good feedback. Um, everyone wanting to do it again next year and saying, we are telling all of our friends next year. So yeah, a lot of excitement. I'd oh, love to get to 250 next year. I, I would say you know, <laughs> 250 is, is, I think, uh, I think you're setting your sights too low. That's my maybe, opinion. So. Maybe. I hope the weather uh, then is great. And I hope, uh, I think 300 will be at least, at least 300. You'll remember that next year when it okay. happens. Yeah. We'll, we'll have a follow-up call and see how we do. <laughs> That'd be great. Now, how did you come up with your thumbs up for Olivia idea? It looks like it's really taken off. Gosh, I, you know, the, the <laughs> thumbs up deal um, just goes back for years and years. I always kind of give the girls a thumbs up to make sure they're okay. And I'll never forget vividly in my mind the first time she really gave me a thumbs up that I knew she was okay. We were at um, Great Wolf Lodge 
and she was in this big wave pool with some floaties on and she got really close to the biggest waves up front. And I was kind of standing on a ledge watching her and I looked down and uh, she gave me the thumbs up before I could give it to her. And so I knew she was okay. And just over the years, it's always kind of been a thumbs up deal. And, and last year when I was at this golf tournament and had to rush home, uh, all my buddies playing the golf tournament were sending Olivia pictures of the thumbs up. Um, and so that's kind of where the thumbs up deal came from. It, it looks really good. And, and uh, the, the smiles on everyone's faces, I, I saw a number of pictures uh, really say it all. And that's something else I'm guessing is going to be uh, you'll, you'll, you'll need more room on your computer, I think, for all these pictures. I think so. There's a lot of not uploaded yet. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, we'll, we'll need just a, a drive for all the all the photos. Well, that's great. Now, five years down the road, where do you see the Olivia Strong Foundation? And are any are there any ideas that you have for it down the road that uh, you have not announced or you've not have completely um, thought through uh, as possible additions? Well, first and foremost, I hope we hit our $500,000 given back to Novant or we're in big trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're, we're, um, we're excited to see the growth. We're excited to hopefully turn that $500,000 to Novant into a million dollars. We're excited to continue with uh, golf events that we've done, seeing the witches walk grow to 500 people in the next five years. Um, Really sky's the limit. and, And we're very passionate about this. I know, um, Christy's got her mind set to this thing and, and she's, she's ready to rock and roll. I mean, it, there's no telling where we could be in five years, but it's exciting to think about the future. I, I would love Mark to expand past the Charlotte market, right? I want to, I would love to be a regionally recognized foundation, right? Spanning North and South Carolina, um, Virginia, all over, you know, I, I want to, I want to grow this over, over time and um, really, like I said, share the word that, Hey, we've got a St. Jude. There's only what, seven or eight St. Jude affiliate hospitals in the country. And we've got one here on the East coast, you know, where we've, we can, you can get the same level of care and service and uh, research that St. Jude Memphis does right here in Charlotte, and you don't have to relocate necessarily. You know, that was a, a big thing for a lot of families that we met out there um, in Memphis was they had relocated because they did not have the an affiliate clinic like we do. So we want to help continue to, um, you know, be a, a vessel to um, communicate what's available here. We've had some really cool uh partners as well. We've got um, a coffee house called Giddy Goat Coffee, who is um, roasting coffee with Olivia's logo on it for sale. Um, Planet Kia here in town has been selling cars or sold cars in September and gave a portion back to uh, the foundation. Um, So over the next five years, really trying to find corporate sponsors and and partners that uh, can keep us sustainable for the next uh, 10, 15, 20 years. Well, you're certainly in an area of the country. I mean, Charlotte is a growing city. And a lot of people, you know, from here, a lot of people go down to the Carolinas to retire and to vacation. And it's certainly, uh, you know, a one one of the major cities in the South, maybe Atlanta and a few others, but they're not that many, you know, big enough cities down there as opposed to, say, Boston or New York or uh, those areas. So it sounds like 
A, you have the passion to do it, which is number one, and that's obvious. And number two, uh, you've got a great area. So uh, I think, again, my 300 that I just said to you about your uh, your, your crowd for the, uh, uh, the witches next year, you'll exceed that, and then you're going to exceed your next goal and the one after that. So I think that's, you know, I'm, not that I'm biased. But that's where I think it's coming. <laughs> now, Olivia is in fifth grade. When she's been able to go to school, have you noticed that she's been able to at least somewhat keep up with her classmates? And have you noticed that she has any particular side effects from what she's been through and in, in, in having to go to school, uh, you know, when she's been able to? Yeah, she's been doing great in school. She's um, keeping her grades up. And really the only setback that we tend to notice is fatigue when she gets home after a long day or if she goes two, three, four days in a row towards the end of the week, she's pretty wore out. Um, so it tells us that when she's at school, she's fairly attentive and, and doing a good job listening to her teachers. Well, that's yeah, certainly we, good to hear. You know, I told you we have a, um, a 504 in place. So we have, if, if Olivia's going to be out of school for an extended period of time, her teacher will, will come to our house and do lesson plans with her to keep her on pace with the, with the rest of the classroom. And um, so they've, our, our school system here has done a phenomenal job um, throughout her history of, of being attentive and giving her um, the attention she needs to um, make a wish had actually referred us to um, sing me a story foundation and when they contacted us, it was a no-brainer. Like, yes, we are interested. We had, we knew nothing about Sing Me a Story. So um, we did our initial thought introduction with Tom. And he kind of gave us a rundown of what they do. And we coordinated some dates. He and a film crew came to the house. And, and they just, they set up. And then they just talked to the family. They talked to Olivia. You know, they just got everybody comfortable. And then the girls just told a story. And um, it could be about anything they wanted it to be. It could be about her cancer. It could be about her family. It could be about her dogs, whatever they came up with. And so they wrote a book called Llama and Unicorn Heaven. And it is about us at the beach as a family. And it starts raining llamas and unicorns. And they just start falling from the sky and they're like, oh, my God, can we keep them? And I'm like, yes. And dad's like, wait a minute. We're not keeping llamas and unicorns. And um, it was really just a fun experience for the girls. And then they, they partnered us with a singer songwriter. Her name was Crystal Bauer Sox. She was runner up of season nine of um, American Idol. American Idol. And she was phenomenal. She wrote a story that it just, it fits the family to a T and it's one of our favorite songs. The girls and I sing it every morning that I take them to school. I don't know if you, if dad <laughs> plays it as much as I do, but not as much. it's, um, it, it is such a fun story. And for the girls to just have that experience and for, especially for Natalie wasn't here to be part of it, but for, um, for Bradley to get to be part of something that, wasn't about cancer and wasn't, you know, and, and if you watch that interview, I, I say, you know, cancer overshadows them all the time, both of them, right? Olivia, how are you feeling? It's all about cancer. And Bradley, you know, she has to, to 
she, she just takes a back seat to that, you know? So for her to get to be part of something so special and participate and it was the most fun. Um, one of the most fun things I think we've done um, since cancer. Well, it's, it's a great story. They're a wonderful foundation. I'd like to ask each of you to comment on this. What type of message could you give to parents or perhaps already have given to parents when their own children face some type of a pediatric cancer diagnosis to try to give them hope and comfort? Oh gosh, for me early on, it was all about positivity and, and making sure Olivia knew the truth about everything. You know, just being open and honest and uh, sharing our feelings and allowing her to share her feelings. Um, don't afraid to be scared, but don't be afraid to know that you're going to get through this thing. Um, stay positive, but, but make sure you, uh, you have each other's back. Yeah, I, I agree with Kevin. I would also add, don't Google everything. Do not look at everything. And if you've got my chart or any other, um, um, you know, portal where you get results uploaded before you talk to the doctor, don't look at it. Wait for the doctor to call you. Those are, we were told that early on and um, I, I I could go down rabbit holes doing research on rhabdo and, you know, joining Facebook groups and all the things and dark, scary places out there, you know, um, that was a saving grace for me is when I learned to turn that off. Like I can't, I can't do that. Such a great piece of advice. I mean, we're all human and we go on the internet to check something out. And the first thing we try to do is see what's the most negative thing you could find. And it's just, right. you know, that's just the way it is. And yeah, uh, I mean, it's like, what's the prognosis? What's the, what's the life expectancy? What is all this? And you know, there every day, you know, there are such advancements and treatments and all different trials. And, and that's another thing. Ask what trials are available. You know, um, if they're not coming to you offering a trial, ask if there's one available. It may be it may not be through them. You know, we're partnered with with COG. You know, COG's not a part of Novant, but they partner with St. Jude. And so we we have um, Olivia under a children's oncology group trial. You know, so there's trials out there. Um, ask the questions. Both gave great messages on that. Where could people get in touch with you if they like to find out about, again, your nine month, <laughs> nine month foundation that has already, you know, broken records, I think, as far as not just money, but uh, events that you're doing and you want to do to find out more about uh, Olivia and the Olivia Strong Foundation. Yeah. So, um, Anyone can go out to www.osfgiving.org and that will take you to our foundation's homepage. Well, as we come to the end of this podcast, uh, I want to thank both of you for taking the time out of your very busy day, obviously, to come on to my show, talk about Olivia, talk about the foundation, what you've been through in the past 10 years is just amazing. I don't know why you're chosen, but you were chosen for good reasons because, um, you know, she's doing so well and you've, uh, you know, you've had the, the, uh, a chance to give back already, uh, to, to many other people. And I want to wish, first of all, her great health in the future. And I hope that after this, uh, is over with, and after the, um, the scans are over with, the next time in the hospital will be 
to give birth. So that would be nice. Yes. And and I want to uh, thank you so much and uh, and uh, wish you the best of luck. Merry Christmas and, and Happy New Year to both of you. And you as well. Thanks, Thanks for having me us. Too. It is certainly good to see that Olivia has been doing well with the chemotherapy treatments. And hopefully she will be able to resume a more normal and peaceful life as soon as possible after her treatments end. Olivia is quite obviously a real trooper and deserves all good things to happen for her in the future. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Monday when I will be speaking with Lisa and Mac Tishner, who will talk about their son, Willie, who passed away in 2006 after his battle with osteosarcoma and what the Tishners have done to contribute to lessening the burden for this most common form of pediatric bone cancer.